Last week, we had just a fantastic time in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, those first 11 verses, <coughs> understanding to enter in to his rest. And the children of Israel, they just couldn't believe that God could be that good. That they would want, he would want to save a miserable bunch like them and uh, take them into the promised land. And they kept thinking, ah, he really brought us out here to kill us. He brought us out here to starve. He brought us out here to thirst, you know. And then they got to the Jordan, and, and uh, the 12 spies came back, and they said, yep, yep, it's what we thought all along. He wants us to go across that river and get pummeled by those giants, and our wives and our kids get raped and tortured and, and uh, yeah, we just need to select a leader and go back to Egypt. This is uh, it's what we thought all along. And God said, you won't enter into the rest. So that generation died off. They did not enter into the rest. Moses couldn't bring them into the rest. But Joshua, 40 years later, Moses had promised there would be a prophet like him, after him, who would lead them into a place of rest. Lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, Joshua got them into the promised land, but it wasn't a place of rest. And uh, they really didn't get much of the promised land. Matter of fact, under David and Solomon, the most that Israel has ever seen to date of the actual geography of the promised land is about 10%. And uh, so... There's another Joshua, or we say in the Greek, Jesus, the same name, who yet is to be the one prophet, like Moses, after Moses, who will rise and lead us into that place. And of course, the, the immediate fulfillment was Joshua, the guy that Moses raised up, but the real fulfillment is in another Joshua, Jesus who will lead us into that place of rest. And we sort of looked at verse 11 there in Hebrews, oxymoron. So let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall short according to the same example of disobedience. So let's work really, really hard to enter into rest. Um, you know, how is that possible? Well, again, their disobedience, he tells us, was their unbelief. They just didn't believe God's grace, God's love, God's mercies, God's promises, God's word. They just couldn't come to believe in it. David talks about it in Psalms 37, verse 3 to 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, I love this, feed on his faithfulness. There's faith. Faith in his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's a sign of rest. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass, or he will do it. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and the justice of the living day. And of course, a guy in the Old Testament looked at this going, boy, I hope he doesn't do that. I'm in trouble. But in the New Testament, prophetically, Jesus is our righteousness. He has made us righteous by his word. So now, 
He can shine our righteousness as the noonday sun because we have the righteousness of Christ. And then he says in verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Well, now the question comes up. It's a little scary with God because he truly knows my deep sinful condition. The answer is, yeah, he does know. He knows everything, every meditation of your thoughts, every little whim that goes through your brain, every greedy, lustful, evil, mean, bitter little thought you have in your head, no matter, even if it's just a fraction of a second. God's never going to be shocked. God's never going to look at man and go, whoa, I knew people could be evil, but I've never met anybody like you. I knew Christians could be weak, but not like this. And, uh, and that's the, the thought people often have. And it's like, no, Jesus died taking all our sins on the cross, all of them. And, and, and people have a hard time when they realize Jesus died for Hitler's sins and Ted Bundy's sins. I, I remember that testimony of um, James Dobson when he talked to Ted Bundy. And Ted Bundy supposedly re repented and gave his life to the Lord before he was executed for being a serial killer. And they were interviewing one guy outside asking him, well, what do you think of that? Ted Bundy, born again. And the guy just said, if Jesus forgives Ted Bundy, I want Jesus to send me to hell. Because I don't want to be anywhere Ted Bundy is. Wow. One, that tells me that he thinks he's better than Ted Bundy. But Jesus says if you hate somebody in your heart, you murdered. God, God looks at the, the heart of a guy who wants to kill somebody. And does. And then he looks at the heart of somebody that hates somebody. And they don't. But he compares the two hearts of the murderer and the guy who didn't murder. And guess what? They're the same. It's just one had the opportunity of the guts to go through with it. And the other guy was smart enough to not go through with it. So he didn't experience consequences on earth. But yet, the Lord puts it down in his book as murder. So, who amongst us is not a serial killer in God's books? And, um, and so again here, the question comes up, can we rest? Can we just accept God's acceptance of us? Can we accept God's work on the cross for us? I want to give you an analogy. Let's say you want to adopt a young boy. And you go to the orphanage and you find this little five-year-old guy and you start spending time with him and, and, and through a process of a couple of years, you finally get to adopt the little boy. And you bring him home and, you know, you have three other kids, let's say. And you bring him in and you show him his bedroom and this is your brothers and sisters, you're a part of our family now. 
And um, we're just thrilled that you're a part of our family. And the little boy, the first day, he has perfect table manners. The other three kids are, you know, being kids. And it said, Geller, when you used to always say, I taught my kids perfect table manners, but they all still eat like me. Um, but um, the little boy is just perfect table manners. And as soon as the dinner's done, he jumps up and starts doing the dishes. And the mom says, no, just relax, I got this. You know, go play with your brothers and sister. No, 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 no. He makes sure it's completely done. And then um, after dinner, he's just sitting very upright on the couch in perfect manners. And, and time to go to bed, he just immediately does exactly what mom and dad say. And he's in bed perfectly. The other kids are fighting for another half an hour, and not wanting to brush their teeth, and all of this. And, uh, and they're noticing, you know. He's, he's pretty tense. It's going to take some process here. Well, they go out to school the next day, and around school time when it's over, there's the knock at the front door. The mom goes to the front door, and there he is. Well, what are you knocking at the door for? This is your house. Oh, I know, but I, I just didn't want to presume. I, I didn't want to think that I could just come in and, and, and you know, and, and it bothered you. No, this is your home. It bothers me that you knocked. Relax. But yet, there it is, the same routine that dinner, night at dinner, going to bed. The next day after school, he knocks on the door again. The weekend comes, and, and the son is in there, sitting next to dad, watching football. And, and, and dad's like, oh, don't you want to go out with the other kids and play? No, dad, I want to be right here with you. Can I, can I get you something to eat? I'll go get some chips and salsa for you. No, I really don't want to eat. Oh, okay, I'll get it anyway. He says, I'm going to go get you a Coke. I, I'm fine. No, no, I'm going to get you a Coke. Hey, Dad, can I rub your feet? You know? Hey, you know what? It's a beautiful day outside. Everybody your age is playing. No, no, I'm going to be right here with you, Dad. What else can I get you? And this routine keeps on going. There's a point. It's going to break the parent's heart, right? Especially if this is going on months. And they can never convince this little guy to just accept that they're never going to take him back to the orphanage. They're never going to see him as a second-class citizen. That he's fully a part of the family, equal to all the other kids. But he can't do it. I mean, how heartbreaking would that be? And this is what the Lord is saying. If you have true faith in me, you will rest. You will trust. You will believe. You will delight yourself. You will enjoy. And But, but I'm such a sinner. I'm, I'm such a weak person. And, and the Lord says, yeah. I didn't think I adopted an angel. I adopted a human. I, I died on the cross for sinners, not for non-sinners. If you're not a sinner, then I didn't die for you. But of course, we all are sinners. And so verse 12 makes this clear. God knows us inside out. And he's got us. 
In Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division, the soul of the spirit, the joints of the marrow, and as discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yes, as we continue in the word of God, it's going to be revealed how deep our depravity goes and how holy God is. And it is not to create a fear within us. It's to create a greater awareness of how much Christ died for, how much he paid on the cross. We used to think we were sinners with a little S, and now you've been with the Lord 20 years. You know you're a big sinner with a big S. You used to think you were a little bit wicked, and now you know, just like Isaiah, that holy, righteous prophet, Yet when he saw the Lord clearly, he fell down undone. I am a sinful man. He saw it clearly, but it wasn't clearer than when he was in the presence of the Lord. And the word of God leads us deeper into knowing Jesus and his loveliness and our unloveliness. And so he's never going to be surprised. He's never going to be shocked. There's not something you're going to say or do or think or feel that the Lord's going to say, boy, did I make the wrong choice here. I can't bear with this. I can't deal with this. You straighten up or you're out. No. And this is verse 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes, of whom we must give an account. The Lord's eyes are wide open. There is not anywhere we've been or anywhere we're going in the future. There's not any thought that we think that God didn't already know we were going to think that thought before time began. Do we understand he's an infinite God? For him to see the past and the present and the future, one isn't clearer than the other to him. They're, they're all the same. For us, after a few decades of thinking about the past, we start to become a little clearer. We think the present's clear, and then we realize later it wasn't so clear. And then we try to guesstimate the future, and, and uh, you know, I think we're probably right about 0.001% of the time. But not to God. David under David got this. I mean, it, it penetrated David's heart when he understood this. In Psalms 139, verse 1 through 10, really the whole psalm, but I'll just look at these 10 verses. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. And behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me in behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed into hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. David got it. Paul put it this way, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors in Romans 8, 37 and 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
for I am persuaded in your death nor life. A lot of people say, man, I just wish as soon as I had gone down to the altar to give my life to the Lord that I had a heart attack and died at the altar. Then I'd make sure I went to heaven. But I didn't. I lived. And I walked out of that church. And that week I sinned. And, and then the year after that, and, and I did okay for a couple of years. And then I had, you know, man, no, guys. Neither death nor what? Life. Life's not going to separate us from God. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor what? Things to come. Okay. I confess my sins to God. He's forgiven me. But it's the future I'm afraid of because, man, I know now how weak I can really be, how sinful I can be, how stupid I can be, how foolish I can be. And, and man, is the Lord going to be able to hang on to me in the future? No. He's got you. Past, present, future, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, he's going to elaborate on this in the next three verses. As a matter of fact, I, I would dare to say these next three verses are some of the most important in the Bible. Matter of fact, I, I would say the subject matter of, of this teaching in verse 14, 15, and 16 of Hebrews is nowhere clearer in the Bible than here. I often find Christians that have been a Christian a short time know these three verses. The rest of Hebrews is a complete mystery to them, but they do get these three verses very clearly, and they often find strength and comfort in them. Let me read all three of them, then we'll break it down. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, how beautiful, how comforting. Well, verse 14. See then that who? We have a what kind of high priest? Great high priest. Our. He's our high priest. My high priest. Your high priest. He's great. And he has passed through the heavens unlike a human high priest. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't stop believing. You know, I, I love those movies. You know, usually they're in the medieval times. For whatever reason, the king has to hide with all the regular peasants. You, you, you know those kind of shows? And, and he looks like a regular guy, and, and maybe a couple of his guys from the palace are with him, sort of keeping an eye, but they, they got to protect him, and the way they're going to hide him is... Pretend like he's a regular town folk guy to, to keep him safe. And so this guy is there trying to act like a regular peasant, doesn't know, you know, how to do anything, milk a cow or farm or, you know, cook or, you know, because he's been served. But yet, uh, all these regular people get to start knowing him and, and, and he starts to really find a great affection towards these town folks, you know, that, man, these, these guys are... 
of really amazing people. And of course, living in the palace, they never knew them. But, you know, this goes on for a few months, and then finally the king's back in the palace, and, and, and then the town folks get in trouble for whatever problem. And now they have to go and stand before the great king and be judged. And they're afraid. And they finally get in there, and they're standing before the king, and bing! That's our friend Charlie, you know, or whoever it is. And they got a big smile on their face, and he's got a big smile on his face, and 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 he's just like, man, we, I'm not going to judge you, and they know it, and they're like, man, we are in great shape. You know, I always have a hard time when people say, you know, call me Reverend Bishop so and so, and then they pray to Jesus. I mean, I mean, you got to realize Christianity. One of the things that God really specifically manufactured is that we don't refer to Jesus as the great and powerful, almighty, wonderful, king of kings, lord of lords. I mean, all those titles are true of him, right? But we just say, Jesus, Joshua, Jesus. I mean, this is pretty powerful when you really think about it. That God wants us to know him by a regular First name, basis. I mean, this really gives us an insight on how he wants us to relate to him. And so, Jesus, this regular town folk guy, he's the son of God. And he came in human flesh and died on the cross and then he went into heaven and, and took his own blood to the mercy seat before the Father. Now, a high priest, they could get a sacrifice, and they would put it on the high, on the high priest would put it on the mercy seat, but it would only cover the sins. Or, say it this way, we're going to push paying the debt of that another year. You're still going to pay the debt, but we're just going to pass over it this year. We're going to cover it for a year. You're not going to charge any interest, but you still owe us. And then they push it another year. And then the other year. Another year they pass over. Another doesn't say he forgives them. But it's adding up. <laughs> we keep pushing it. This whole year said, plus last year said, but you know, when is eventually this gonna be taken care of? But boy, when you read the minor prophets, they knew. They knew. They said we're being judged by God because of our wickedness and our idolatry. And then there would be this great hope in the, in the minor prophets going, you know, as Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. I know I'm going to stand with him. You know, the minor prophets say stuff like, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know my sins are not going to be just covered. They are going to be pardoned, forgiven. My transgression is going to be gone. It's going to be taken and buried in the deepest sea. It's going to be scattered for us the east as the west. I don't know how, but I know that that's God's plan. Because he said to Abraham, you and your children are my children forever, and we are wicked. We are horrible. We can't keep being this wicked, rebellious, evil people. And God chooses for eternity. 
So we know that, that at some point for all the children of Abraham to be righteous before God, something's going to have to give. And of course, it all points to Jesus. All history right now points to Jesus. We say 2020. Why? Because 2020 years ago, a babe was born in a manger. When I used to go into Hungary and Yugoslavia and these countries that were communist and the Iron Curtain fell, and, but we'd go to the streets and we, we'd ask them, you know, why is it the year it is right now? Oh, the whole dating system is based around Jesus. They, the communists taught it that way. Now, they, they think Christianity is a hoax, but, but then they would ask the next question. We'd go into the schools and the teacher would be practically crying, just going, man, we, we keep discussing this, we don't have an answer. We know lying and cheating and, and rape and murder, it's wrong. Why? Why? Why do we all agree it's wrong, but we have no idea why? Well, we've been created by God. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. We've been created by God in His image, and, 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 he, and that image is so clearly stamped into our conscience. And it's not just you, it's everybody on the planet, and it's all time men have been on the planet. And, uh, and so, yes, there is a point where we now come before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God, the Son of God. And we discover that there on the mercy seat, the blood is there, and it has fully Aid for our sins. There is no more judgment to be done. It's already been punished. It's already been condemned. It's already been a severe suffering and price paid on the perfect Lamb of God. So hang in there. We're now coming not just to a faceless guy we've never seen this guy before. We have no idea who he is. He looks sort of intimidating with that big giant grand poobah hat on and all those priestly garments and he's a man of renown and, and he goes into the temple, he alone once a year and he alone has, you know, and now I need him to have mercy on little old me. Now we find out it's our good buddy. <laughs> it's our good best buddy. Jesus. And we discover who he is. He is not just a high priest. He's the great high priest. And he's not just the great high priest. He's our great high priest. Jesus didn't become a high priest to hold the position. He became the high priest for you. And then in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Ouch. Yet without sin. Ooh, good news. Can, can you imagine Jesus being in your flesh? He was. The Bible tells us there's no sin that's not common to all men. We all are made of this yucky old stuff and it doesn't matter whether this old skin, whatever color pigment it is, the blood flows and, and we can all use each other's blood, right? The life is in the blood. But Jesus' flesh was 100% human with all its 
humanness, <laughs> which is horrible, exactly like you and me. And so our great high priest has walked in your shoes. Well, I don't know, didn't, didn't he live in a little bit of a bubble? Not our, not our great high priest. Nope, he was down in the trenches. He was a peasant. He was in the same roads, eating the same food. Matter of fact, he, he lived in a town that, that majority of Jews wouldn't want to live in. It was a small population in Nazareth. It was not a good place to grow up. And Jesus, again, went through far more temptation than the average human. Jesus, in his human flesh, in those 33 years he lived, went through much greater hardship because Satan was nipping at his heels. Don't you think the day that Jesus was born, that Satan was just preoccupied for those 33 years, that all his energies were focused on making Jesus fail, make us, making Jesus not a substitute, not a lamb, Without block, without spot, and blemish, or any other thing, you know, Satan is deceived, you know, and and he is working overtime to, to bring condemnation on Jesus, to trip Jesus up, and uh, to cause Jesus not to be able to to be our substitute, our Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Verse sixteen. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Guys, notice this. Let us therefore come boldly. That is a command. It's not a suggestion. And so we've been talking about faith. Faith goes before the throne, before the judge, boldly, not wimpishly, not a false humility. But boldly. And what do they demand? Hey, I'm standing before a throne of grace and I need to drink of this here. I need some grace and mercy to help in this time of need. But again, I'd like to a picture analogy. Here you got this average Christian. And let's picture him actually going before Jesus. And he's coming into the throne room and he sees the glass he see, which we know is grace. He sees the great throne, the sheriff and the seraphim flying around, holy, holy, holy. And the big doors open. I think it's sort of like the Wizard of the Oz, you know, where they go into the, you know, great, you know. But these big doors open up and these two angels, and there's this big long <laughs> hallway. And you see the throne there, and you're walking into the throne, and you come, and yes, what do you need, Brian? Well, uh, I need some forgiveness. Okay, you're forgiven. Go your way. And then, about a half an hour later, oh, I need some more help. Uh, excuse me. Can you guys open those doors again? Um, <laughs> I'm coming, and... Uh, Yes, yeah, you're, you're back already. What are we going to do for you? 
Ah, I, I, I need some more forgiveness. I need some help. Mercy. Oh, okay, okay, I, I get it. You know, people have a hard time. And, and off you go. Now, what does Satan want you to think? Satan wants you to think that this is starting to perturb the Lord. He wants you to think that, that, that this is starting to irritate him. He wants you to think that here you are going back to his throne room and, and, and you need to sort of put your head down and not like sort of humble and, Lord, I, I'm sorry, it's just been 15 minutes since last time I was here and, and you know, it's been a rough day and, and I'm just so sorry to bother you. And, you know, I, I, you know I, I really hate asking again in the same day, but, man, can you, can you find it in your heart? to forgive me. But now the Lord is like, wow. Um, are you okay? What's, what's going on, man? This is, this is uh, sort of unprecedented that you would be in here this many times, this short of a duration. Um, but man, oh, okay, yeah, you're, you're forgiven. Go, go ahead. And then you've got to go again. Half an hour later. And now the angels at the front door are sort of looking with a rather weird look at you. And you're walking down the aisle and you're dragging your feet. And you're just like, oh, man. Uh, uh. And now the Lord just started to get sarcastic. You know? He's like, whoa, look who's back. And I wonder what he wants. Hey, Gabriel, what do you think this guy's here for? And, and uh, and, and you're sort of looking at this, and, and the Lord's like, you know, I, I don't want to hear it. Just you're forgiven, go. And then you got to go back again. And now there you are. And now these guys are shaking their heads and talking to each other. The rumor mill amongst the angels are going on, and you know they're talking about you. You, you get down there, and 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 the, and the Lord is just like now he's just sort of a little depressed, going, wow. This is, you know, I've had some sinful Christians in the last couple of thousand years, but you you are pushing the envelope here. You know, I've seen weak people, but not not to this degree. And um, Gabriel, look in that book of life. Make sure his name's really in there. I'm not so sure that his name would be in there if he's having these kind of problems. And then finally he's like, oh, okay, yeah, go, go your way. And you got to go back again. <laughs> and now you just see the, the, the angels and, and you see the throne and you look at God looking and, and you're just going, I don't need this. Screw you, God. Screw your heaven. Screw forgiveness. I, you know, I don't, I don't need your guys' attitude towards me. I'm doing the best I can. It's not good enough. I'm out of here. That's what Satan wants to get in our heads. So we will lose hope. We will let go of our confidence. And it's not that way at all. Quite the opposite. The Lord loves to see you. Believe it or not, he loves to forgive you. He loves to clean you. When my kids were small, 
they were all out on their tricycles and other vehicles sort of like that. You know, a couple minutes would go by and, oh, they're screaming. You think, you know, they got ran over by a truck and you go out there and, oh, my leg, my leg, you know. And, you know, come on inside. And, you know, right there on my knee, that spot. Oh, right there. Oh, I don't see anything. Let me kiss it for you. Okay. I need a Band-Aid. I need a Band-Aid, you know. So we go get the Disneyland Band-Aids, you know, and put a Mickey Mouse Band-Aid on there and, boom, they're 100% healed. Out they go again. Five minutes later, ah, on my elbow. Can't see anything there. It's killing me. Oh, please, kiss it. I need a Band-Aid. A couple hours into this, they got 20 Band-Aids on them. What do we do? We take a picture. We're laughing. Are we bugged? Are we bummed? Are we? No. It's precious. It's hilarious. You see what I'm saying? God's going to get us there. Or, or what if you had a two-year-old that was seriously suicidal because they're just so bummed that mom's got to keep changing my dirty diapers. It's been going on for two years now. I feel the motion and I'm thinking I should probably start using the toilet, but it just doesn't work out. And then there's a mess everywhere. And it smells and it's stinky and it's expensive. And there's a special trip that mom has to take and change that dirty diaper again. I just can't tolerate this anymore. What do you, what do you say to that little two-year-old? Look, before we had a baby, we knew babies are messy. We're not bummed at all. You're right on time, man. You're, you're, you're right on schedule here. And we're going to get you there. I don't think you're going to potty train as quick as you want, but we're okay with that. We're, we're patient. We, we understand every kid's unique. And it takes a while. But we're not bummed in the least that you're being a two-year-old. You are a two-year-old. You see what I'm saying? I think so often we, we get these mentalities that Satan wants us to, that, that we can't come boldly to the throne of grace, that, that God is just not giggling and laughing that we're coming to him. We see in Revelation that all our prayers are incense unto him. It's the beautiful smell in heaven. What is that? It's the prayers of my kids. And how we need to understand that you're not coming to a throne of judgment and God's got to try to squeeze some grace and mercy out. You're coming to a throne of what? Grace. So there's plenty of it around. Splash in it. Swim in it. Jump in it. This is what I built my throne around. Grace. It is the throne of grace. Because that's who I am. That's what I am. That's what I want to be done. I want my kids to come and sit on my lap and pull on my beard and, and, and blow in my ear and kiss my face. And, and, and at the same time, you can know the forgiveness and mercy and kindness and, and help. See, this is Christianity. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Who doesn't want to go into the world and preach who Jesus really is? Well, we now head into 
Uh oh. We're out of time. What happened with that? Well, we'll just end there tonight. And we finish chapter four. Oh, chapter five. Great stuff. Continuing to look at Jesus as the high priest. It actually continues all the way into chapter eight, looking at Jesus as our, our high priest. But um, we'll take a, a break there and we'll, we'll jump into it next week. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the great time we've had just looking into you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, our, our great high priest. And we take joy in knowing that you have joy in us, that you sing over us delightfully, joyfully, rejoicing over us, that we are the sheep of your pasture, your special, special little kids that you love so much that you would come into human flesh and die for us because we have that much value to you. And thank you, thank you, thank you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.